Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. So first and foremost, I just want to thank everyone for coming and also thank Skylight, who hosts so many great literary events. Um, and then I also just wanted to tell you a little bit about us. We're Phony Media. We're a nonprofit publisher of works in translation based right here in Los Angeles. And if those are the types of books that interest you, we would be really thrilled if you would consider joining our membership program, where for as little as $3 a month, you can get really cool stuff like access to author receptions and inscribed books. Um, and The Conspiracy is actually the second book in our City of Asylum imprint, which is a program in conjunction with the City of Asylum in Pittsburgh, which provides sanctuary to exiled writers. And the author of The Conspiracy is, of course, Israel Centeno, um, who is widely thought of as one of the most important Venezuelan writers of the last 50 years. He's written 14 books. Um, this is the first one to be translated into English. Um, and his books have won very cool literary awards in both Spain and Venezuela. So with that, I would like to introduce Israel and David Shook, who is the founding editor of Phony Media. Wonderful. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank all of you guys. It's a really handsome-looking crowd tonight. I'm very pleased. Um, tonight, we're going to begin with Israel reading an excerpt from his new novel, The Conspiracy, in Spanish. Guillermo's... Or, Israel's translator Guillermo actually lives in Florida and is unable to join us, so I'll be reading an excerpt in English, and then we're going to talk about some very exciting things. I've been filled in over the last 24 hours about a man who seems almost as ridiculous as our president uh, in terms of his public rhetoric in Venezuela, and I'm looking forward to Israel's insights into that world. <laughs> Go ahead, Israel. Okay, let me see if I have it in my iPhone. I'm supposed to bring book in Spanish, but I left this book in I'm a mess while I'm traveling. Thank you for being here. Thank you to Skylight Books and Phonema Media for inviting me to LA. It's my first time in LA. Uh, and feel like a virgin. Uh, so let me find out where is my booking to read. I'm supposed to be be passion. Okay. Paris se quema. En Buenos Aires se llama bruma. En Ciudad de México le dicen neblumo. Cuando sopla el viento del Sahara y cubre a Santa Cruz de Tenerife, los isleños saben que se trata de la calima. En Caracas había hollín, yo me abría paso entre el humo y la ceniza el día en que salí a matar al presidente. Un incendio pertinaz hacía estragos en el Ávila. Nunca las llamas llegaron tan alto. Las estaciones de guardabosques fueron rebasadas y las zonas aledañas comenzaban a arder. En las afueras, hacia Sartanejas, en el fuerte Tiuna, donde formaban a los batallones de recluta, ardían los pinos. Ardían los pinos en Caracas. No eran los pinos navideños de los bazares y los pinares de un jardín exótico. Se preguntarán los quisquillosos si hay pinos en Caracas. Los hay y arden como en todas partes, y la resina impregna el aire, es aceite que se arde a sí mismo. Huyo de mis camaradas desde hace dos días, huye conmigo Silvestre, los dos, tendieron una los do nos tendieron una trampa en una reunión. Lourdes siempre se ha prestado para hacer trampas, es un agente del gobierno, 
Me cansé de decirlo y se ríen, me acusan de paranoico o de estar caliente o celoso. La compañera tiene un buen culo, eso te pone a hablar soquetadas, dicen. Claro, que Lourdes es un agente del gobierno, insistí, y continuaron con, risas y, con las risas y las insinuaciones. Ya no es necesario especular demasiado para llegar a la conclusión de que todo el partido está infiltrado. Dominguín dice que seremos gobierno y estamos ganados para este momento del proceso. Nos llamaron a deponer las armas, nos convocaron a una reunión definitiva. Silvestre y yo decidimos esperar. Pasaron los días, continuábamos concentrados en las tareas propias de las conspiraciones. Supimos que la gente que la organizaba nos andaba buscando, nos convocaba con urgencia. Manejamos la esperanza de que haríamos lo que nos correspondiera hacer, pero nos mantuvimos desconfiados. Las decisiones no cambian de un día para otro. Silvestre y yo nos escondimos en una de esas conchas que, se les que no se les revelan ni a, la, ni a las amantes. Nosotros compartíamos algunos lugares por si acaso, por si acaso, nunca todos. Insistieron en vernos, querían reunirse en Pinto Salinas. Eso olía muy mal de entrada. Solíamos encontrarnos en Pitosalinas, en casa de una comadre de Lourdes, en los años de la clandestinidad. Teníamos tiempo sin ir a la casa de la comadre de Lourdes y en lo formal, ya no éramos clandestinos. Silvestre llevó dos cargas adicionales para su ranking Bull 44, yo me calcé una 38 y lancé al bolsillo de mi saco seis balas más antes de salir. Tomé una granada de caja de zapatos, de una caja de zapatos. Recordé lo que me había dicho una vez Abelardo, nunca, nunca sobra llevarse una vaina que haga bulla. Siempre me preguntaré por qué fuimos y para, y, y para no llegar a conclusiones drásticas que comprometan a mis camaradas, mantengo que fue por disciplina. La casa de la comadre Lourdes de Lourdes era un apartamento en el piso 12 de uno de los superbloques. Nos, subi nos subimos por las escaleras como de costumbre. Al, al principio, al, en principio pensábamos subir por el destartalado ascensor. Olíamos algo malo. Nunca esperarían que usáramos los ascensores, pues los usamos. Cambiamos de planes, cambiar de rutina es importante. Al llegar a la puerta nos abrieron. No subíamos, nos movíamos entre los edificios de manera tan, tangencial. Decidimos ir primero a casa de un conocido y mandarle un mensajero a la gente, cambiar el lugar de un, del encuentro. Nuestro amigo vivía en una de las casas que lindan en las canchas donde se juega pelota y la prestaría sin remilgos, sin los remilgos de antes, de que fuésemos poder. Atravesamos los bloques, nos perdimos en sus pasillos oscuros, eran las ocho de la noche. Las canchas estaban vacías, por lo general, a esas horas los malandros de siempre se beben sus botellas de anís con ron y queman piedras de crack. Atravesamos el campo. Si hubiésemos ido por las escaleras o por el ascensor a la casa de la comadre de Lourdes, nos habrían matado. Apenas comenzamos a subir los primeros escalones, pero... No había un segundo plan, era este. Si no íbamos a los bloques, ellos también sabían de nuestro conocido. ¿Desde cuándo tienen contemplación estos perros por los malandros? ¿Por qué de entrada en entrada, de letra en letra, ahora éramos unos hombres avesados? Sabíamos algo del destino. No nos podíamos volver porque con seguridad nos habían cerrado la retaguardia. Dije en algún momento que por asunto de disciplina. Era noche oscura, los bombillos de los postes estaban fundidos y el cerro a nuestra espalda ardía. El resplandor de las llamas apenas dibujaba sombras en el barrio. No nos quedó otra que brincar sobre los techos de zinc de una casa, de zinc de una casa que se levantaba bajo un talud y, com y comenzar la, al comenzar la vereda, eso fue estruendoso. El carro ardía y el fuego iluminaba a unos hombres que largaban zancos y se hundían sobre los techos de las casas de una barriada. Los disparos, los disparos comenzaron a sonar espaciado. Uno, dos, no respondimos. Yo me hundí 
En la sombra hasta la mitad del cuerpo, la plancha de zinc de uno de los techos se dio. Una ráfaga llovió sobre nosotros. Deja que, déjate caer, marico, me gritó, me gritó Silvestre. No le entendí, tenía el traje desgarrado, pero había logrado sacar mi revólver del cinto. Déjate caer dentro de la casa, coño. Silvestre respondió el fuego, seis disparos de un solo golpe. Como pude salir de la trampa y repté, disparé dos veces. Llegué a un extremo del techo y me dejé caer hasta uno de los callejones. Apenas pude ver a un hombre alto, de pelo al rape, que me apuntaba. Se vino con todo su cuerpo sobre mí. ¿Por qué, ¿Por qué no disparaba? Su cabeza le estalló. Silvestre le había metido una bala de 44 donde nace la nuca. Apenas me incorporé para quitarme a otro tipo que se venía encima. Esta vez yo le daba entre los ojos. Corrimos barrio abajo hasta alcanzar la avenida. Silvestre se lanzó de cuerpo entero al parabrisa de un Fiat 1 que bajaba mientras yo tomaba por el pelo a la muchacha que conducía. Apenas le vi sus ojos, marrones, negros, brillaban, sus dientes blancos perfectos, su pecho agitado y el aliento metálico. La lancé al pavimento, pude darme cuenta de que sentía calidez en medio de las piernas, como si me hubiera orinado encima. Me pasé la mano, buscaba sangre, era probable que me hubiesen herido, pero... Era una erección, una maldita y contundente erección. Silvestre, como pudo, abrió la puerta del copiloto y salimos disparando. Yo reía, estaba vuelto un asco, pero reía. Silvestre encontró en la guantera del Fiat una caja de cigarrillo, me encendió uno y se llevó otro a la boca. Nos escapamos de vaina, le solté el humo. Le, le, le solté con el humo. Y ahora... ¿Quién nos está buscando? ¿La organización o la gente del gobierno? Silvestre habló con fuerza y mantuvo el humo en sus pulmones. Lo soltó con la misma fuerza con la que hubiese aspirado, con la que lo había aspirado. Es la misma vaina. ¿No estás herido? Sonreí con el cigarro entre los dientes. No, estoy sano. Y con la verga parada entre las piernas. Se encogió de hombros. No entendió una mierda. Yo le formulé la pregunta de la rata de los cómics. ¿Y qué haremos ahora, Silvestre? Él no lo pensó. No tenía nada que, que pensar. Ya lo tenía pensado desde que nació. Era un iluminado. El destino estaba ante tus ojos. Mataremos al presidente. Thank you, Israel. Sorry for... No, don't. Israel's mom is here, so it's very important to me that he gets to read quite a bit. I think we can applaud for that. Special guest. This is Guillermo Para's translation. Paris is burning. In Buenos Aires, they called it mist. In Mexico City, smog. When the wind from the Sahara blew and covered Santa Cruz de Tenerife, the islanders knew it as haze. In Caracas, there was soot, and I was moving through smoke and ashes on the day I went out to kill the president. A persistent fire was ravaging Mount Avila. The flames had never reached such heights. The forest ranger stations were overtaken, and the neighboring zones began to burn. On the outskirts, toward Sartanejas in Fortuna, where they trained the battalions of recruits, the pines were burning. The pines were burning in Caracas. These weren't the Christmas pines you find in markets or pine woods from an exotic garden. Those who like to quibble might question whether pines actually existed in Caracas. They did. And they burned like they might anywhere else. And the resin, an oil that burns itself up, filled the air. I'd been fleeing from my comrades for two days now. Sylvester was escaping with me. They set a trap for us during a meeting. Lourdes had always lent herself to helping set up traps. She was a government agent, I kept telling them, and they'd laugh, accusing me of being paranoid or horny or jealous. The comrade has a nice ass, and that makes you talk shit, they said. But there's no doubt Lourdes was a government agent. 
I insisted, and they kept laughing and insinuating things. There was no need to speculate too much anymore to reach the conclusion that the entire party had been infiltrated. Dominguin says we'll become the government and that we're winning at this moment in the process. They called us so we'd put down our weapons. They invited us to a definitive meeting. Sylvester and I decided to wait. The days passed. We continued to focus on the tasks inerrant to conspiracies. We knew that the people from the organization were looking for us, urgently calling for us to meet with them. We hoped we would do what had to be done, but we remained weary. Decisions don't change from one day to the next. Sylvester and I hid in one of those safe houses that you never reveal, even to your lover. We shared a few places just in case, never all of them. They insisted on seeing us. They wanted to meet in Pinto Salinas. That smelled rotten from the start. We tended to meet in Pinto Salinas at the house of one of Lourdes' friends during the clandestine years. It had been a while since we'd gone to Lourdes' friend's house, and in formal terms, we were no longer clandestine. Sylvester took two additional charges for his Raging Bull 44. I wore a 38 and tossed six extra bullets in my coat pocket. Before leaving, I took a grenade from a shoebox. I remembered what Abelardo had once told me. It's never a bad idea to bring along something that makes a lot of noise. I'll always ask myself why we went, and in order to not reach drastic conclusions that might compromise my comrade, I maintain that it was due to discipline. Lourdes' friend lived in an apartment on the twelfth floor of one of the superblocks. We didn't go up the stairs as was our habit. At first, we'd go up in the dilapidated elevator. We smelled something bad. They'd never expect us to use the elevators. We changed plans when we got to the door. We wouldn't go up. We moved between buildings stealthily. We decided first to go to an acquaintance's house and send a messenger to the others, changing the meeting place. Our friend lived in one of the houses located alongside the basketball courts, and he would let us use it without a fuss since back before we were in power. We crossed the apartment blocks, got lost in their dark corridors. It was eight at night. The courts were empty. Generally, at that time, the usual gangsters drink their bottles of anise with rum and burn chunks of crack. We crossed the field. If we'd gone up the stairs or the elevator to the house of Lord's friend, they would have killed us as soon as we climbed the first steps. But they had a backup plan, and this was it. If we didn't go to the blocks, they also knew about our acquaintance. Since when do these dogs care at all about the gangsters? Why had they scared them off? We finished crossing the block from entrance to entrance, letter to letter. Now... We were some experienced men. We knew a thing or two about fate. We couldn't go back because surely they'd closed off our rear guard. At some point, I said it was a matter of discipline. It was a dark night. The bulbs on the street lights were burnt out and the mountain at our back was burning. The glow of the flames barely drew shadows in the slum. We had no choice but to jump onto the zinc rooftops of some houses that emerged beneath a slope at the start of a trail. The noise was thunderous. The mountain was burning and the fire was illuminating a couple of men who were sprinting as they plunged into the rooftops of the shantytown homes. The shots began to sound at intervals. One, two. We didn't respond. I sank into the shadows up to my chest. The zinc sheet from one of the roofs gave way. A spray of bullets rained down on us. Let yourself fall, motherfucker, Sylvester shouted at me. I didn't understand him. My suit was torn, but I'd been able to pull my revolver from its holster. Let yourself fall into the fucking house. Sylvester returned fire. Six shots in a single blow. 
I got out of the trap as soon as I could and crawled, shot back two times, reached an edge of the roof and let myself fall into one of the alleys. I could barely glimpse a tall man with his head shaved who was aiming at me. He brought his whole body against me. Why wasn't he shooting at me? His head exploded. Sylvester had plugged him at the base of the nape with a bullet from his forty-four. As soon as I stood up, I had to get rid of another guy who was lunging toward me. This time I got him right between the eyes. We ran downhill until reaching the avenue. Sylvester jumped headfirst into the windshield of a Fiat Uno that was descending while I grabbed the girl at the wheel by her hair. I barely glimpsed her eyes. Brown, black, shining, her white teeth perfect, her chest agitated and her breath metallic. I threw her to the pavement. I realized I felt a warmth between my legs, as though I'd pissed myself. I checked with my hand, looking for blood. It was likely they'd wounded me. But it was an erection. A damn simple erection. Sylvester opened the passenger side door however he could, and we took off. I was laughing. I was fucked up, but I was laughing. Sylvester found a box of cigarettes in the glove compartment of the Fiat. He lit one for me and put another one between his lips. We barely escaped, I let loose with a puff of smoke. And now who's looking for us? The organization or the government? Sylvester took a deep drag and kept the smoke in his lungs. He released it with the same strength as when he inhaled it. It's the same shit. Aren't you injured? I smiled with the cigarette in my teeth. No, I'm fine. Even got a hard on. He shrugged, didn't understand anything. I asked him the question in the voice of the mouse in the comic books. And what'll we do now, Sylvester? He didn't think. He had nothing to think about. He had already thought about it since birth. He was an illuminated one. Destiny was in front of his eyes. We'll kill the president. As you guys can see, this book would make an incredible Father's Day gift. (laughs) In fact, I've heard many fathers are asking for two or three so that they can share them with their fellow less fortunate fathers. So by all means, stock up while you can get it signed here at Skylight Books. Israel and I are going to talk in English now, but if you guys have any questions in due course in Spanish, we will accept them. I suspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. I wanted to start talking about the, the current political situation in Venezuela and then move toward your book. You were telling me today, we, we were talking about, I, I'm not sure the exact word, who, who can be, but what I call the, uh, the Kavafi incident mm-hmm. uh, that recently happened on, mm-hmm. on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. I, I was, how, is, how do you pronounce it, Israel? It's not Kavafi, it's like Kafafa. There you go. <laughs> I, I, I had hoped we would get here and Skylight would but have like Kavafi. a giant Kavafi. Hey, but Kavafi support. No, I know. That's why but I was excited. Kavafi, yeah, you know? no, it, it's well, a missed well, opportunity. If you start to talk about Kavafi, you're, you're going to talk, you, you have to start to read the poem or Aitaka. Yeah. Huh. It's good advice. Where is, where is Aitaka? Yeah, where is it? I don't know. You were telling me though that that <laughs> Maduro has recently done some similar things, the president of Venezuela, on purpose. Hmm. Uh, as anytime something bad is happening or he's trying to pass something potentially unpopular, he makes these very public gaffes. He he recently was talking about the north, west, east, and south, the five cardinal points. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, around Easter, he was talking about Jesus and the miracle of the fish, but instead of fish, he said penises. He multiplied the penises. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I wondered, Israel, if you could talk a little bit about about that, the rhetoric of... It, it's a kind of sleight of hand, I guess, or distraction. Yes, yes. 
do you see that happening here like it is yes whatever something happened uh, they play to be dumb mm-hmm. this is no new in our country I think um, it came from Chavez but Chavez has has some charisma and she, he was a showman so he played it well but when something was happened in our country in that moment you, you have to remember that Maduro is the Chavez, Chavez legacy so, so he learned a lot of, um, he tried to learn I, I, I think he, he got short in that but he's tried to do the same in some, some in, I remember Chavez doing an excavation we had a problem with uh, he was trying to do amendment in the constitution trying to because he wanted to be elected not for two terms but forever so in that moment the big discussion was if we would allow him to do the amendment. So he had his chose, it's happened on every Sunday, like four, uh, between four and eight hour show. A TV show. A TV show, it's a grand, it's a tradition, South American tradition, like a Sabado Gigantes or something like that, but with a politician. That's what Chavez did. And on this show, he started to talk about, he, in the middle of an excavation to do the Metro Tulosteque, he felt like a stomachache, and suddenly he said, I got diarrhea. And he told the whole thing about how he tried to not put himself (laughs) in the machinery. In a mine shaft. So, but they did in that way that was like he had in his public some charms. But Maduro is unfortunate in that point. Maduro did the same and he's he's doing that on purpose. I know I know I know doubt about that, but he seemed really real because he had the face and he had the behavior of the dump. But Anytime when we, ha- when we have something big happening in, co- in our country, when a, a, a boy of 14 years old was rolled roll over by a tank, he came out with the five cardinal point. So it's the play. And it's as well as I think it's, uh, we should read more Machiavello that other things. So this, this is kind of distraction. It's what Trump is doing right now, in my point of view. When he had this big trouble with Russia, and he has interpolation, and people asking him about in the Congress, uh, he came come with Kabafi, or Kafefe, or Cafe, or whatever, or he Played dumb to Twitter. He got, and the people say he he has to stop doing Twitter because he's playing dumb. No, he's playing well. He's putting you to think in other thing, but not Russia. He's putting thing in another thing, but no the district attorney or the FBI things and uh, doing dumb and this. And I always, during the campaign, I think uh, Chavez respond to other interests and Trump is responding to other interests, but they seem, they look like each other in some point and then call Trump like the orange Chavez. It's this orange man who play like him. Uh, he's no. He 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 seems like uh, he has not the same charisma, but he has charisma with some working class. I come from Pittsburgh. Sorry, I didn't get that. Could you restate? Hi Siri. <laughs> Siri is correcting me. Uh, uh, he has charisma with the people in this rest. 
Bell. I pronounce that well. Rust Bell. The Rust Bell. These people who uh, lost their job because the there is another uh, thing with the with the economy here, and they are he made he made connection with them, and they feel him like part of them. It's a, uh, it's a little contradictory, but they think that they, he's going to put this cold mile to works and he's going to open the stealers things again and he's going to give them back their job and he made the kind of connection and he made connection with the nationalistic and he made connection with people who are who were hide for a long time here in America as well as Chavez did in some point, but one call, some people call, well, uh, Trump comes, he comes from the right, he responds from corporation, and Chavez comes from the left. I'm not sure right now. That's, that's something I wanted to ask you about, because in your book, the, the people you are describing and in, in many ways critiquing come from the far left. Yeah. As you do, but there's a, a disenchantment, I think, with a, a radicalism from either side that approaches fundamentalism. Yeah. I wondered if if you could address that in some way, and like you're doing now. I mean, it's interesting that these two leaders who come from such vastly different ideological places, supposedly. Yeah, but you know, both stream. Mm-hmm. in some point can get together. It's happened right now in Europe. There, is, there are uh, anti-globalization movement. It's a global movement that we are going and we can see people from the right in Europe and for, for the, uh, from the left sometimes converging, uh, getting together, gathering in something in, in the anti-globalization things again the for example the NATO Podemos is a left in Spain and almost have the same agenda than that Trump in the NATO things in the Troika in the uh, I mean, in other issues because they both play the game of the anti-globalization. Uh, what happened with Chavez? Uh, he came from the army, and the army traditionally in South America and everywhere is very reactionary. But our army and the army were uh, always were playing in a huge role in in our political development during two hundred years. And we cannot do anything without the blessing of the army. But he came with this narrative, nationalist narrative about uh, reivindication, about anti-imperialism that sounded very well when he came here to the United States and he called the American like, uh, you are the devil, you came down there and you exploit us and you take from us everything and you and blaming, 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 but in the same point he were negotiating Chevron Texaco, some part of the uh, um, uh, strip of the, the Orinoco Strip. Uh, so it's a double narrative that he played. What I want to say then to, to make it short is sometimes the far left could play it as a reactionary as well as the far left. In some points, it's very difficult, in some point in history, to play center. To, to support the values of democracy when democracy is very hard because a lot of things have been happened. But it's a moment when you should point all your focus that these values allow us to descend 
and to to dissent and to make it think better and to avoid a totalitarian people who can who, who always take advantage of this kind of situations. Hmm. Can, can you ask a literary question? You can. I mean, I hate to ask a question about the book. Yeah, yeah, by all means. <laughs> That's why we're here. Um, okay. In America Latina, there's a very noble project of two sides of the novelas. The first es la gran novela política latinoamericana sí, pero al mismo tiempo hay lo que se, se denomina la novela negra también hay una historia muy interesante muy diferente a la de los Estados Unidos porque ha sido capaz de incorporar política, crítica social filosofía muchos temas, entonces yo veo su novela que va entre esas dos corrientes y me gustaría que si lo pudiera Sí, lo respondo en español, todo el mundo. Creo que hay una en Cuba con la novela negra fue bastante interesante porque fue una manera de escribir y de hacer disidencia. Ahí tenemos a Leonardo Padura con el hombre que amaba a los perros y las otras novelas negras donde él pudo desde, eh, desde la novela negra criticar con de criticar y de manera contundente al régimen de los Castro y evitar algunas consecuencias que tuvieron otros escritores que señalaron esos mismos puntos, entre ellos Padilla y la tradición de la novela política es interesante porque yo creo que es muy importante no solamente señalar los casos, sino I think that it's very important that South America, South America should start to think about itself as a big failure, <laughs> a huge failure. Our process from the independence to now, I, I can put some countries out the box, but we had to start to asking ourselves about our own process and stop blaming people outside because our own process were when Bolivar was a dictator we had to start to recognize that we had to stop we had to stop uh, making here military uh, hero for any military what we had And we have to stop making uh, epics of uh, every Montonera what we had. So think about ourselves could be uh, could let us heal in some point and to take a, the, a, a right things because. If you understand yourself, you can make relationships with the rest of the world, with the United States. I, 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 I have no doubt that the United States take advantage of our governments and, uh, and take advantage of our mess out down there. But when our country starts to be a country, a real country, when Bolivar went down with a big army to conquer Peru and Bolivia, half the continent, he had an army more powerful than the United States had in that moment. He conquered more land in that moment and he failed because he has he hadn't he hadn't a project before after him. So I start to thinking about that, I start to I start to write this kind of novel You can put the thrillers, you can put the, the, the dark novel, dark novel here is the black novel, yeah, black. the black novel things, uh, but without letting out the reflections about uh, who we are as uh, 
projects because we were, I think we were a failure. We have a lot of, it's not Venezuela, I can tell about Mexico. In this uh, is a state that is right now failure state. And we are, I, I can talk about the process in Colombia, try, win, and we have to stop and think about what happened. What what, what happened before? It was very. It was is our republic were born with a real project to be independent. It's maybe yes, maybe no, but we have to make that questions. Can I just follow up? If you mind? By all means. So I'll just follow up in English. So just uh, uh, what I think is a, maybe a slight corrective is novela negra would translate as hard-boiled detective novel. Hard-boiled detective novel. Raymond Chandler. Uh, uh, Chandler and detective novel. Okay, like detective novel, yes. Pulling extra bullets in the yeah. pocket and... Their penis is getting harder until they get smacked around. Uh, right out of that tradition. So uh, I appreciate that. So, but, but the reason I'm saying this, so it begins like yours begins like a traditional hard boiled novel. Yeah. Well done, may I say. My congratulations. Right, thank um, you. But I'm, I'm wondering whether it goes on to take on that political. It says we're going to kill the president. I just wonder whether it is more like detective or whether it actually opens up that political terrain in your novel. Analysis of um, who is trying to kill the president is a group. It's a, conspira it's a conspiracy from the far left to try to push the process forward to be more radical. It was a plot, but then a minister from the government who belonged to this group Start. He started to follow them and to try to kill them when they fell the attempt of assassination. So in that moment, the novel turned into a thriller. Let, 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 let's call the novel in that uh, as the thing. Uh, so, uh, in that moment, the novel turned into a thriller, into this novela negra. In some point, there are no resolution. It's my style. I, 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 I tried, uh, I've been talking to you about that, and I'm writing new novels, and I'm trying to know, get into a resolution because our project as a nation and our project as a culture has no resolution. So, if they, no, don't, if they don't have resolution, I don't want to put some resolution. I, I want to put something like vague and, 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 and at, the, at the end. And I understand that in, it's a risk because people want a closure. People want this, a big end. But I can Keep working as squirrels and squirrels and get into those another things that I'm trying to do that right now. And really, the only way to find out, Johnny, is to buy the book. Great. Oh, good, good. Not from Skylight, I'm sure. Any other questions for Israel tonight? Questions. Israel, I, I'd like to ask you a little bit about your exile from Venezuela, which was largely prompted by this book, right, and by yeah. the the response to it. What what happened, and how did you wind up working at a hospital in Pittsburgh? Wow, a lot. You know, I'm a, tired. In about fifteen words. I'm tired. Fifty. <laughs> Well, um, when I wrote this book, I, I didn't believe that it, this thing came uh, could be a problem with me, to me, despite I was talking about the president, and I didn't believe that he would take it that personal. But he took because he was a man with, with a big noise for olfato, como se dice? Smell. He, he had a smell to exploit things, you know, in that moment he needed to say to people that some people wanted to promote 
a magnicide. And he took the advantage of the thing, and another man who was close to him, he was the Minister of Energy in that moment, a man uh, a, a little part from Cuba, felt himself reflected in the book. In that moment, he came out with these things, and it was like an order to his collective to the police, I didn't get uh, um, any aggression from the police. I, I get aggression. I got aggression from the collective, or because they, when they came as a collective, they they say that they are doing to you that thing because it's the people. The people claiming and the people blaming you and the people asking you to not promote the attempt of assassination of their their of the, their president. So they came, they bait me, they broke my arm, they made a lot of threatening through my mother. They called my mother eighty times telling her how my head is gonna be and in a big kind of shit. And they told my mother where my two daughters lived. And all the call, because we were, we were doing the investigation, came from a mental institution who was managed in that time for the actual mayor of Caracas, Jorge Rodriguez. So it was very complicated for us. And the thing that happened in that moment is I wasn't a dissident. Not me, neither my family. Because they fell in some point because we had an history in the past. We belong and we believe and we were, we were part of the far left wing in Venezuela. And we knew things. And we disagreed with them. And we split and we speak out in that moment. Um, it's different when you understand this kind of organization, when you dissent and when you speak after be part of them. You are, you are going to be treated not as a dissident, you are going to be treated as a dictator, as a, as a traitor, and you are going to be treated as a sapo. And what the map do with a traitor? They put a bullet in their head. So I had to take a decision. I had to leave my country. I, they actual, they denied me a passport. They denied me my nationality. So I had to be American. I'm going to be fellowship, fellow, fellow American soon because I need a passport, because I need to... to, to have some travels and don't know, feel myself prisoner in this vast um, country. So this is the, this is quite the thing. So I, I have to leave my country with without thinking some point after the last aggression that I had in a traffic in a uh, in a traffic jam when my they, they, um, a lot of bikers uh, uh, hit my car and they started to try to, to hit me again and when I couldn't defend my car I get I came back to my home I told my wife enough enough I cannot defend my car I cannot defend you I cannot defend my family I had to do something I take my Passport with my tourist visa and came here to the United States and started the process to stay here. Now I'm here. Just um, find this. I have. I was very lucky because I find an organization. It's very weird to find an organization to provide to a writer in exile uh, a sanctuary. Um, they cannot do more because they need more resources, but they are doing a very good job, and they did that with me, and they gave me the opportunity. But uh, when you came here, and when you, when the government erased your pass, and and you probably 
are going to find, in Pittsburgh I found some resistance in the academy because they think, if you, there is a, a thing that happens sometimes in, 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 in the United States. If you are opposing or, or you are doing opposition to the a government that they think is from the left, instantly you are for the right and you are a fascist. And sometimes they don't spare you for the university, but they're they, this polite, oh, welcome, welcome. Oh. <laughs> there is an hospital over there where you can work. So I had to start from the scratch. <laughs> I had to start from the scratch, doing transport, you know, in my country, it's Camillero. Working right like a no, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not going to complain about that because I'm. I have a good translation right now. I'm thinking about the future. I think that I. It's no any any writer is egotist, isn't it? Yeah. So I've been writing for 30 years. Good stuff. So I think it's going to come out at some point. I don't know. It's. My pa I'm gonna have enough patience to not get crazy, but I'm keep trying. Well, and your new novel is set in an insane asylum in Pittsburgh, and is about the early collusion between the far left and the cartels. Right? And the cartel, the Medellin cartel, and when the left wing started to do the laundry uh, drug, and it's gonna put me out. No, no, the Venezuela. It's gonna put me out from Colombia too. Oh, good. So, so it's in a, my, my new pro, my new project is in my very broken English writing and Spanish. It's in a mental hospital in Pittsburgh. A man found a, uh, Pablo Escobar Gaviria alive in there, and he wants him to rewrite the, the history. And he came back to the time trying to rewrite the, the, the history because he told him, I didn't die in that roof. I didn't die at all. I'm here in P4. I am the butcherist of Pittsburgh. So <laughs> uh, that thing is going to be like, I, I mix things in that it's going to be like a thriller, but more like a psychological thriller. And it's a challenge. I think it's a Leviathan because it's trying to try to go on with writing in English. I, I know that I'm a little arrogant trying to write in English when I, when I, because I have a lot of respect for language because I'm a writer. But I am honest and I am writing that very broken. I think it's going to be the hook of the novel. You know? <laughs> well. Wonderful. Well, if no one else has any questions, we will adjourn to a signing of books. Israel has a very beautiful signature. Yeah, no. <laughs> it, 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 I can sign the book and you can go to buy some... White out. Uh, <laughs> some, 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 it's like a recipe. <laughs> That's wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Israel. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.